Glad to have you here with us at Lakes Free this morning for our Easter celebration. We are going to uh, praise and worship and give thanks to the Lord for all he's done for us today and the good news that our King has risen from the grave. So welcome, and I hope you have a great time with us. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 5? We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14, and I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some under the chairs where you are sitting. You could use those or follow along or just listen if you'd like. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this passage of Scripture in which the throne room of heaven is open before us, we join our voices in worshiping Christ as our risen Savior. And we think of our brothers and sisters today around the world who are gathering uh, from morning till evening who come in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, we look forward to that day when we will celebrate it in heaven just as it is pictured here. And I pray today that you would use this, uh, this part of your word, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, to show us what is yet to come, and to motivate us to spread that good news of the gospel so that all might have the opportunity to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. 
In his name we pray, amen. Well, praise God for Easter. And praise God that we serve a risen Savior. It is great to see you here this morning. Uh, I love Easter Sunday. It's my favorite day out of the year as we come in celebration of the risen Christ. And every Sunday that we meet is intended really to be a mini resurrection Sunday where we come once again to remember these great truths of the gospel. For it was on this day in history that Jesus Christ was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. This day is a day of victory when Jesus triumphed over all of his enemies, over sin and death and Satan. This day is a day of hope. It fills our life with hope because Jesus has promised that all who believe in him, even if we die, yet shall we live because he is the resurrection and the life. The great Bible teacher Wilbur Smith wrote that from the first day of its divinely bestowed life, the Christian church has unitedly borne testimony to its faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you cannot take that away from Christianity without radically altering its character and destroying its very identity. And today I'm here to tell you that what we celebrate on earth is also celebrated in heaven as we see in this picture in Revelation. In Revelation 4 and 5, the Apostle John had this vision of heaven that is absolutely glorious. It is a picture of what is taking place today, but what also will be in the future when we join with these saints and the angels in heaven and worship our God forever and ever. And in this passage, John tells us some very th significant things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus stands at the crossroad of history. And by that I mean he not only stands as the division of time for us between those years before Christ and those years after Christ that mark our calendar, but he stands at the crossroad of history for all of eternity. Because if Jesus Christ had not come, and if he had not died for our sins and rose again, then life as we know it in this world would continue on in its fallen state forever. And there would be no change. And the wars and the violence and the crime and the injustice and the sin would continue to abound in our world. But Jesus Christ has come, and that changes everything. And what we see here in this passage, as John writes about it, is a picture of the throne of God there in heaven. And when he describes that throne of God where the Father is seated, he uses things like symbols, like precious jewels, gems that explain to us or give us an idea of great worth and value. He uses the picture of a, a rainbow, this glorious rainbow that is there over the throne of God in heaven. It is brilliant. It is glorious. And surrounding this throne are these 24 elders who are seated on their thrones. And who are those 24 elders? The truth is, we don't know for sure. There have been over a dozen different suggestions as to who they might be. Some think they are angels. Some think they are representatives of the church. Some think that perhaps they are the 12 tribal leaders in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles. 
but that's not as likely since John is the one having this vision. I mean, it could be, but he's the one who is seeing this, and John is one of the apostles. Many believe that they are a special class of exalted angels who lead in worship just as there were 24 divisions of the priests in the Old Testament. And in the center, inside those 24 elders, there are four living creatures with the appearance of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And those four creatures represent all of creation. The lion being the king of the animal kingdom, if you will, and the ox being the strongest of the domestic animals, and man being the highest of God's creation, and an eagle representing the greatest of the birds in flight. They represent all of creation, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They never stop praising the living God. In chapter 5, John looks, and he sees in the right hand of the Father a scroll as his hand is held out. And this scroll is no ordinary scroll. This scroll contains God's plan for the consummation of all history. I mean, this scroll tells us what is still to come. It tells us of how this world will end and what will happen next. It tells us how it will go for all people. It tells us of a judgment to come in which there will be this separation between those who have placed their faith in Jesus and it will go to eternal life and those who have rejected Jesus and will go to eternal punishment. It tells us how God will deal with sin and death and Satan. And it speaks of a new heaven, a new earth that will come together and it will be free from sin and evil, from sorrow and death, from all of those things that are part of this present world. It will be established in righteousness. It will be where God will dwell among his people for all of eternity. And the picture is beautiful. This scroll has writing on both sides. It is complete. It is full. I mean, it's jam-packed with information, if you will. It is sealed with seven seals, and seven being a number of perfection, it is perfectly sealed. It is like a will or a testament. And in Roman times, it was... um, True that a Roman will often had six or seven wax seals that were placed upon it so that no one could violate it. It required an executor to carry out the will of the one who wrote it. Now, we've been spending a lot of time in the book of Hebrews, and we've seen how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus in one picture as the executor of God's will. He's the one who will carry it all out. But what we see pictured in a dramatic form in this scene in heaven is this mighty angel comes and he makes this announcement and he says, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And there is silence in heaven. There is silence. You can imagine in that scene as no one answers that many begin to look around. And they wonder, could Gabriel open this scroll? 
Could Michael open this scroll? Could Moses or Elijah or one of the prophets open this scroll? And there is no one. There is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who has the authority to open this scroll. And what we see is John describes himself and he said, I wept and I wept because there was no one who was found worthy to do that. John understood what this means, that if there is no one who can break those seals and open the scroll and put into place God's plan for the future, then nothing in this world will ever change. Sin and injustice will continue. Violence, oppression, war, all of that will never cease. It will go on as it is today. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you understand what that would be like? I mean, there'd be no hope of anything ever being different. And then one of the elders stepped forward and he said to John, do not weep, for there is one who is worthy. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Root of David. And he has triumphed. John tells us that Jesus is worthy of this honor and praise because of his death on the cross for our sins. That Jesus accomplished his salvation for us both by his sinless life fulfilling all the requirements of the law, but also by his sacrificial death, where he willingly paid the debt that we owed when he died on that cross for our sins. And each of these titles that are given here that apply to Jesus are rich with meaning. He tells us that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. It means he is the King. He's the Messiah. He's the one who was going to come. But what's interesting about this prophecy is that it was made over 1,800 years before Christ was born. It was made as Jacob was dying. And he called each of his sons to come before, them, before him, and he would place his hand on them, and he gave a blessing that was unique to each one of his sons. What also is interesting is that this blessing was given to Judah. And here's what it said in Genesis 49:10. He said the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. In some of our Bibles it says that this scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh means the one whose right it is to rule. And so here's this prophecy that the line of the kings are going to come through Judah and eventually this one who will be the greatest of all kings will come. But you know what's interesting about this? I mean, I said it's 1,800 years before Jesus is even born is that Israel isn't even a nation at this point. They're more like a clan of brothers and some sons and grandsons and daughters that are there. They don't even have a land yet. They have a promise that was given to Abraham that one day they would inherit the land of Canaan. But they are still to go down into Egypt. They will have 400 years when they will be slaves to the Egyptians. I mean, they're just this insignificant little tribe that is there. And yet, Jacob, speaking by the Holy Spirit, can say, Judah, 
from your line is going to come the one whose right it is to rule, and the obedience of the nations will be his. That's powerful. And that prophecy was remarkably fulfilled in history. About 40 years before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that took place A.D. 70. So about A.D. 30, three years before Christ was crucified, an interesting thing took place. The power of pronouncing capital punishment was taken away from the Jews. That's why the religious leaders had to go to Pontius Pilate to ask to have Jesus crucified. If the Jews had still had the power to decide cases on their own, they would have stoned Jesus for blasphemy. They would have brought him out and and he would have been stoned. That would have been the normal way of putting him to death. But because they did not have that authority, they had to go to the Romans and ask that he be executed. And it would be a death by crucifixion in fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. And it's interesting that in the Jewish Talmud, when that happened, these words were recorded, where they, the Sanhedrin, the members of the Sanhedrin said, woe to us, for the scepter has departed from Judah and the Messiah has not yet come. They understood the significance of what was going on here, but the Messiah had come. They just did not recognize him. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, the greatest of all kings. And Jesus is the Root of David. Here's another remarkable prophecy that was given by Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before Christ. He prophesied of a day when David's kingdom would be cut off and left like a stump. I mean, here he was in the time of the kings. Uzziah was the king at that time, one of their longest tenured kings. And he is writing of a day when this kingdom is going to be gone. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians would come. They would destroy the temple. They would destroy and tear down the walls of Jerusalem and carry its people into captivity or put them to death by the sword. And Isaiah wrote this. He said, a day is going to come when a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse From his roots, a branch is going to bear fruit. Just a little, little shoot's going to come up out of that dead stump. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It is a prophecy again about the Messiah, the branch, And what it says about him is that he will have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And there is a seven-fold description of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. It will be said of Jesus by John that he is one who has the Spirit without measure to the very fullness of God. And Isaiah wrote of that day when Jesus would come. And when John turned to look again at the throne and to see this lion of Judah, what he saw instead was a lamb. A lamb looking as if it had been slain. And you know, you can read that with words and you can understand it and sort of picture it in your mind, but this is why no artist can paint this scene 
I mean, without it looking kind of grotesque, because what is this? Is this a, a lamb with a lion skin on it, or is it a lion with a lamb skin on it, and it looks like it's slain? I mean, it just it doesn't work in a painting, but you hear this, and you get the imagery of it, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who was slain. And what we see for John is that the word lamb was his favorite term for Jesus, it is used 28 times in the book of Revelation. The word lion is used once. He talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God. And you remember in his gospel, it is John the Baptist who points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here is Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's looking as if he has been slain. He still bears the scars, the wounds in his hands and in his feet. He comes from the center of the throne. He does not come from the outside to the throne, but he comes from the center of the throne because salvation does not come from men. Salvation comes from God himself, and he is God. And he comes and he is described in this way. He has seven horns. Seven, again, a number of perfection. Horns was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of kings. And so here he is. He is all-powerful. He is the greatest of kings. He has seven eyes. He is all-knowing and he is all-seeing. And he is filled with the Spirit of God. He has all the attributes of deity because he is God. And when he came and he took the scroll out of the Father's hand, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before the Lord, before the Lamb, and they worshipped him. And they sang a new song that is recorded in verses 9 and 10. They sang that you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You are worthy because you were slain. What John describes here is this great company that will one day stand before the Lord and worship him in heaven. And we are living in one of the most exciting times in history when we are seeing that happen all around us, all over the world, as the gospel continues to go forth to new areas. There are people who are coming to know Christ from every tribe and language and people and nation. That great company is growing every day. And sometimes when we listen to the news, you know, the stories we hear are about the murders and violence or terrorists or the other awful things that are happening in our world, and it can be pretty discouraging. And we don't always hear the good things that God is doing and the way that the gospel is advancing. So I want to share just a little bit with you this morning. If you think back on the last century and what God has done in the last 100 years, it is really remarkable. Did you know that in 1900, Korea had no Protestant church? Today, there are over 7,000 churches in just the city of Seoul, Korea alone. At the end of the 19th century, the southern portion of Africa was only 3% Christian. Today, 63% of the population is Christian. 
and membership in the churches in Africa is growing by 34,000 people every day. In India, 14 million of the 140 million members of the untouchable caste have become Christians. In the Islamic world, more people have come to know Christ in the last 25 years than in the previous 1,200 years combined. There's an interesting book called The Wind in the House of Islam. It describes what God has been doing in the nine different houses of Islam. If you looked at each of them in different places around the world, from the Middle East, Central Asia, Indonesia, Africa, India, and all those different representative areas, there are more than 70 movements of the Spirit of God where people are turning from Islam to Christianity and placing their faith in Jesus. And those movements are are, are movements of more than a thousand converts and more than a hundred churches that have been established in these different houses of Islam. People are coming to know Christ because of visions and dreams that they are seeing, because of radio and television ministries, because of personal contact one by one as they come to know the scriptures and understand who Jesus is. In Islamic Indonesia, the percentage of Christians is now so high, around 15%, that the Muslim government will no longer print the statistics. They don't want people to know what is happening there. In China, it is estimated that there are now more disciples of Jesus, more followers of Jesus than there are members of the Communist Party. And that concerns them because China likes control of everything. And here is a movement that is exploding as people have come to know Christ and the gospel is going forward. All across the planet, followers of Jesus are increasing by more than 80,000 people per day. That's amazing. And praise God for what he is doing. And when I think about the privilege we have as a church to join with him in that work, and to pray for those that we have sent out as missionaries and to go ourselves and to be witnesses here in this community. We're just one small part, but we get to join and celebrate what God is doing all around the world. And do you know what else John tells us here? He tells us that Jesus will be worshiped throughout all of eternity. And we see that in the last part of this passage. In Revelation 4 and 5, there are five hymns that are recorded here in sung. What's interesting about that is that the first two hymns in chapter 4 are sung to the Father who is seated upon the throne. The next two hymns, the third and fourth one, are sung to the Lamb of God, to Jesus, ascribing the same attributes to him, his worthiness to receive power and glory and praise forever. And then in the last hymn, the fifth one in verse 13, it is sung to both. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You know, this is a passage that is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture about the deity of Jesus Christ. I've used this passage several times when uh, Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons have come to our neighborhood or to our door, and I'll ask them about this passage because, you know, they'll say that only Jehovah should be worshipped, only God the Father should be worshipped. And I say, well, that's interesting. Let's take a look at this text and see what it says. And I, you know, and I say, who is this in chapter 4? And they'll say, well, that's Jehovah. And I'll say, I agree that that's God the Father. 
But who is this in chapter 5 that is being worshipped? Who's the lamb? Well, that's Jesus. Well, then why are they worshipping him as God when you say he should not be? And they have no answer. I mean, you, you can't give an answer. You'd have to tear it out of your Bible because it is so clear that Jesus is given all of this credit and praise and worship and all the attributions of deity that are here and finally it's brought together where they are both worshiped and praised and will be for all of eternity i want you to notice something else here i want you to notice how the number of worshipers increases it begins as a song of praise by the elders and the four living creatures in chapter 4 verse 8 where they sing holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And that number grows as these songs progress until in chapter 5, verse 11, John tells us that there are a multitude of angels who are singing. He looked and he heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I mean, again, more than he can count. And then it builds to this crescendo in verse 13 when he said, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing praise to the Father and to the Lamb. It is a picture of Philippians 2, 10 and 11, where one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you join in that chorus? And do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? That's the most important question we will ever answer. And I know for most of us, maybe all of us who are here today, that's the reason we're here is because we have placed our faith in Jesus and we've come to worship him this morning. But maybe there is someone here today and you've not made that commitment to him. Today could be the greatest day of your life, the day that you come to know Jesus as your Savior. And I'd invite you to confess your sin to him, to ask him to forgive you, to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord, and you could begin a new relationship with him today. I want to share a story as I end this morning. And many of you know that a couple weeks ago, I was in Peru on a mission trip, and I've had the privilege to do this uh, for many years now traveling and teaching. I uh, train and equip pastors in the area of making disciples. How do we do that in the local church? And so I was in Peru, and we had a wonderful group that had gathered there. And I'm just going to tell you about one part of it. One of the significant things there was to meet uh, these four men. There's a picture here, and there's a woman, Ruth, who's one of the trainers. Um, but these four men are from the Shipibo tribe in Peru. And it's one of those tribes in the rainforest. We were on the edge of the rainforest in Pocalpa where we were meeting, and they're in the rainforest. And these four men have come to know Christ, and they love Jesus, and they are pastors reaching out to their tribe. And they came to this training. For them, Spanish is a second language. And so, you know, it takes a little bit of translation and help for them to understand it. Um, but they loved what I was sharing with them from the scripture about the life of Christ and how he discipled. And they asked if they could translate that into the Shabibo language so they could pass that on to others. But what's also really neat is how these men are committed to bringing the gospel 
to the neighboring tribes throughout the rainforest in that part of the world. And I came back with the names of five other tribes that they are reaching out to that are around them. Well, there's another man that God has raised up in the next picture. His name is Nestor. He's a Shabibo missionary. And he is one of these uniquely gifted young men that God has called out and raised up. He's working with Wycliffe as a translator, bringing the gospel to these people. And he has such a love for Jesus and a love for his people. It was wonderful to see. Now, for these individuals, they're still living in a culture that is basically an oral kind of culture. You know, it's not really reading and books and literature like for us. For them, they tell stories. And the way that these people are being trained, these pastors, is through an orality training where they come in and in the first course, they memorize 40 stories from the Old Testament. And they do it word for word. And they have a phenomenal memory. And the more they memorize Scripture, the faster they're able to do it. I mean, they're, you know, their trainers were really amazed by this. And what they do is they go out and they share the stories, the Old Testament that prepare the foundation for the gospel. Second course, they memorize 40-some stories from the gospels, and they tell about Jesus and what he has done. And then in the third course, it's 40 stories from the Acts and the Epistles that they'll go back and talk about the church and its ministry. And they, they are um, going to places that we could not go. And they are reaching their brothers and sisters for Christ in these surrounding tribes. And when I was there and I met with them, I thought about this passage of Scripture from Revelation. That Jesus, by his blood, has purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And if this text is going to be fulfilled, those people need to hear it. And what a privilege for us if we can be a part of helping to bring the gospel to these tribes in the rainforest and people who have never heard about Jesus before. So thank you for your prayers for me on this trip. Thank you for letting me go to do this teaching. And let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in that part of the world. There is no one like Jesus, and all the world needs to know him. Let's pray. Father, how exciting it is both to see this picture of the throne in heaven where you are worshiped and praised and where your son is glorified and to know that one day we will be there to stand before your throne and to see this with our very own eyes. But thank you, Lord, too, for this great privilege that you have given us to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to follow you and to make you known. I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Peru and in the rainforest as they are preaching even today about Jesus and the resurrection, that you would use them to draw many to Christ and in the surrounding areas as well. And Father, if there's anyone here today and you have never made that commitment to Jesus, would you trust in him this morning? Open your heart to Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. And then tell someone about the commitment you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. And now to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen.